Well, good morning again. I want to just welcome you here this morning. I want to start by just giving you a brief uh, report before we get into our uh, our, our sermon for this morning, and, and I want to just tell you, uh, thank you for praying. Um, our, we had our students at camp uh, over this last week, and uh, and they had an absolutely outstanding uh, week at camp. Uh, I want to tell you that uh, there were some of our students who, for the, for the very first time, began uh, to follow Jesus. Um, yeah, it's really exciting. Uh, we had students uh, that had begun to follow Jesus before and, uh, and realized that that was not uh, being taken seriously and a priority in their life, and so uh, they uh, wanted to take the call to follow him more seriously. And then we had students that, uh, that said that this place, being away and with these people, that, that has made this place and this feel like a family and like a place uh, to belong. And so uh, just tremendous praise for what the Lord has done um, in the life of our students. And I'll again, just wanna thank you for, for praying. Uh, there is rumor and there's a picture that it's not yet verified whether or not this is indeed our student pastor or not, but there was a, a man wearing a banana costume uh, running around camp that looks an awful lot like Nathan Dutton and we are uh, looking into whether or not it is actually uh, him, but it was a great, great week. Uh, and again, thank you for praying. You know, it's just really important uh, that we pray for the next generation. Uh, Psalm 71 tells us that until, uh, until the very end of my life, help me to proclaim your goodness and your faithfulness to the next generation. And so uh, it's, it's vital uh, that we support the work that God is doing in their lives. And again, thank you. So we are on a series on eternity. I kind of said last time that I wanted to call it After You Die, but that was a little, uh, a little dark. And so uh, our creative department said, no, 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 let's just call it uh, eternity. And so that's what we're in. We're in a series um, on eternity. And what we're really trying to do, I've hinted at this for years um, and have, have kind of now come to this place where we're actually jumping into it, but what we're trying to do is we're trying to, to challenge what I would say is unfortunately a predominant and dualistic view uh, of eternity that has crept into uh, the church. And it goes a little something like this, that the world is bad and Jesus came to this material world. He became human to save us so that one day when we die, our souls could go to an immaterial heaven and live there with him forever. And that's something like what we have started to adopt in the church. You hear it in all sorts of different places. One of the places you hear it uh, most frequently is, uh, is at funerals, and we, we try to comfort each other with these words, and, uh, and, and unfortunately, it's just not really biblical at all. There are pieces of that that we can keep, but for the most part, the whole idea really comes more from Greco-Roman philosophy than it does from the scripture, and so what we're trying to do in these four weeks is give a broad overview of what the Bible actually does say to us about what happens after we die, and more than that, where is God taking things? What is God's plan for the fullness of time? And it's interesting to note that the word, the phrase going to heaven is not actually used a single time in the Bible to describe what happens to us when we die. Now, last week we got into it a little bit and we, we talked about when you see the word heaven, the English word heaven in your text, what it means is two different things. One is it could be referring to the universe, the sky, the stars, this dome that is above the earth. That's one thing that the word heaven is talking about. And the other thing that the, the word heaven or heavens can be talking about 
is God's space, God's kingdom, God's domain, where what God wants done is done, his, his place. And the reason that they, in the ancient world that the heavens where God, God's space was high above the heavens is because of the holiness of God. The high view of the holiness of God is the reason why that in the ancient world that God was conceived of as being outside and beyond creation. But we, we went back to Genesis in the very beginning and we looked at how in the very beginning when God created the heavens and the earth, that God's space and human space were woven together, that they were parts of the same whole. The Bible begins with this overlap of heaven and earth. In fact, God actually designs creation as a place where God and human beings can live and dwell together. God made us uniquely so that we could have personal relationship with God. I think it's a massive thing to get into your mind, but God created us specifically so that we could, though not being God, have personal relationship with God. Each one of us was created with that capacity and God made it so that God and human beings would live and dwell together in perfect harmony. And we, we looked at where in Genesis chapter three, that whole thing gets torn apart and God banishes human beings from his space, sets up a guard outside of it, but begins immediately to make restoration and come after humanity and speak prophetically throughout the Old Testament of a day when this would no longer be the case, when God would bring creation back into harmony with him. And this in the scriptures is referred to as the new creation, new heavens and new earth. And God is working to bring things to that place and he's doing so in Christ Jesus. That's just a, a bit of a review from last week. Uh, last week we also said, what okay, then what happens to us at the moment that we breathe our last breath? And I told you that it's a dividing line. It's not an end, but it's a, it's a dividing line. And that human beings will be judged in perfect justice. And we could go into that maybe at another time, but safe to just leave it in this place now, that judgment will not be human judgment, but judgment will occur based on the righteousness and the perfection and the holiness of God. But human beings will be judged based on their relationship with Jesus with the Messiah. And those, the Bible says, that reject Christ will live in the consequences of that decision. But those who are in Christ, uh, what happens to those who are in Christ, who have made Jesus Lord? And actually, I said this last week, but the Bible doesn't tell us much about what will happen to us immediately following our last breath. There's this in-between period of time that the Bible says very little about. But here's what it does say, and what it does say is crucial. And actually, when, when Scripture talks about what happens to us after we die, it says that it's telling us what it's telling us so that we can have hope and so that we can bring hope to others. Here's what it says. It just says that, we, that, that what happens to us after we breathe our last breath is a temporary state. And in that temporary state, our bodies, the Bible says, will go back to where they came from. They will be buried and join again the dust of the earth. But they will be waiting in the dust, in the ground, for a physical resurrection. 
But what about us? If our bodies will, will go to the ground, what about us? Well, again, the Bible doesn't give us tons of detail, but here's what it says. Paul tells us that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And so what we know is that we will be conscious, we will be aware of being in the presence of God. We will be, though absent with the body, awaiting the resurrection, we will be present with the Lord and aware of where we are. Now, isn't it interesting that though that's, and you're going, wait a minute, that's all that the Bible tells us? What about the streets of gold? What about all that kind of stuff? It's like, okay, hang on, hang on. Isn't it interesting that the only thing that the Bible really gives us is those Three elements, that our bodies will go to the dust of the ground awaiting the resurrection, that we will be conscious and present with the Lord. Why does the Bible only give us those details? Well, because those are the details that give us a secure foundation of hope. They give us a secure foundation of hope as we look to the day that is coming to every single one of us. In 80 years or so, all of us in this room will be dead and most people won't remember our name. But the reality is that facing that very bleak sounding abrupt in that vapor like existence we look to that reality and we don't look so with fear or with trepidation but we can look to that end which will come to each and every one of us pending that the Lord doesn't return before our lifetime is over but we can look at it with hope why because there is nothing to fear if in his presence I will be you with me that's why the Bible gives us that and it also comforts us believers listen how many of you have walked through, this is something that is true to every single person in this room. In some way or another, we have been acquainted with the grief of loss. And what is that thing that the scripture gives us in order to hold on to hope, in order to grieve in the light of hope, is that, that those who we have loved, who have been in Christ, they are present with him and we will be with them with him again. Is there anything else that ought to give us who know Jesus more hope than that. It's why the Bible gives us those details. But where is this all going? If this is this temporary thing, then where is this all going? And here's where we jump into typically what I call the escape plan. This is where we seem to jump off into the escape plan. We actually don't read our Bibles all the way through. We read it to Revelation chapter 20, and then we stop. We forget the, the end, but here's where we get to the escape plan. In Revelation chapter 20, this may be a little geeking out for some of you, so just bear with me. I'll try to do my best here. There's a description in Revelation chapter 20 of this thousand-year period of time. It's referred to as the millennial reign of Christ. And it's a period of time where Christ will rule on the earth. Now, follow me. I'm going to try to get to where we get to the escape plan. But this thousand-year reign is described, and for many of us, and it actually says it six different times in Revelation chapter 20. It talks about this thousand-year reign. But for many of us, what we do is we imagine this as the only time where the return of Jesus is connected to the events that happen on the earth. This millennial reign, this time where Jesus rules and reigns on the earth, this for us is, the, is, a, is a temporary period of time where Jesus and whatever's going on on the earth intermingle. And then after that, we all go somewhere else to that place called heaven. 
That's where these streets of gold are and the choir robes and all the singing and the, and, and the like, right? We stop at Revelation chapter 20 and it's the only time where we, where we picture Jesus as having to do with anything uh, on the, with the events on the earth. And there's all sorts of different theories. If you've been in church long, you have probably heard about or been involved in a teaching series that dives into the specific timeline of the millennial reign in Revelation chapter 20. And what does that mean about the church? And when does the church go away? Does the church go away? Is the millennial reign literal? Is it not literal? Where does it occur? Right? You having fun yet? We dive deep into those questions. And there's different theories about a lot of it. There's different ideas about a lot of it. And I have my own opinions. It's not for today. Those are really good and interesting questions to dive into. But here's what I'll say. The description in Revelation chapter 20 about this millennial reign, the millennium question, is a really summed up in one thing. And it's this, whether or not the old earth will end after the return of Jesus or a thousand years later. It's talking about the finality of what we are experiencing now, the old earth, new, old creation. And again, those are really, really good and interesting questions to work through. But because we've been so fascinated with Revelation chapter 20 and people have written books and done movie series about different ideas surrounding the millennium where, where planes are empty and cars are empty and I, you know there may or may not uh, be, uh, I don't know, I better not, I better just not, I better just pull back, right? But, but, but look, the point is we've popularized and and saturated ourselves in Revelation chapter 20 and with the millennial reign. We've forgotten to read the rest of our Bible. We've forgotten to read the rest of our Bible. Again, not that those questions are not important, but the whole focus is off. Because when we dive deeply into those questions only, here's what we're doing. The whole premise kind of seems to be, when does God get us out of here? When is this all over and when do we go to that place? And that question is an entirely unbiblical question. And that's what happens to us when we don't read all of our Bible. Again, nothing wrong with exploring some of those questions, but when it brings us to the point that we say, okay, so then when, okay, in all of that, let's figure out when we escape. The Bible never tells us that we escape or go anywhere. The Bible, in fact, says something else, that God is coming here. The Bible doesn't end in Revelation chapter 20. There are other chapters. And we're gonna dive into that today. If that, if, if that is not right, if what we've maybe thought and conceived of in our mind isn't right, then what is the goal? Where is God taking things? Because for many of us, where God has been taking things is this point where we escape and go to heaven when we die. But if that's not true, what is true? What is in the scripture? I wanna take you to a few places. The first is Ephesians chapter one. This is one of the simplest, simplest explanations in all of scripture. Look at Ephesians chapter one. I'm gonna begin reading in verse nine. It says, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose 
which he set forth, speaking of God, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time. Stop. This is a shorthand version of saying, this is where it's all going. This is where it all wraps up. This is the, 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 the direction that everything is headed. This is God's plan for the fullness of time. If you've ever wondered, keep reading. What is the plan of the fullness of time? Watch this. To unite all things in him. Speaking of Jesus, things in heaven and things on earth. What's God's plan? Where's it all going? What's the shorthand version of it? Right here. What's God's plan? To bring heaven and earth together with Jesus at the center. Do you see? To unite what has been broken and torn apart and corrupted and separated to bring those things back together in perfect harmony with Jesus right there in the center of it all. That's the plan. That's where it's going. New creation. The uniting of heaven and earth, not the disposal of earth and heaven someday, but the bringing together of God's space, heaven, and human space, earth, to be in perfect harmony where we live and dwell with God. Does it sound familiar? It should. It is what God did in the beginning. Where we live and dwell together with one another in harmony and with harmony with God. Jesus ruling and reigning right there in the center. I want you to go to Isaiah chapter 65. And see, one of the things that we say that, that is interesting is you'll hear people talk about heaven not being in the Old Testament much. And you're right. You're right that you can't find much of the go to heaven when you die stuff in the Old Testament because it's not there. <laughs> you know what is there? And if you're looking, you'll see it page after page after page after page is the pursuit of God for the redemption of all creation. You'll see in page after page, rule and reign, bring peace prophet after prophet. God's plan to bring a king that will rule and reign, bring peace and shalom and harmony in all of the earth. You will hear over and over and over again of God's plan for restoration of new creation. That's what's in the text. That's what the prophets are speaking of. That's what they're looking to that Jesus has launched and will fully. All right, I'm gonna leave. All right, just. Just let's roll, let's roll. Isaiah 65. Here we go. All right, I'm going to read a longer text. Hang in there. It says, For behold, verse 17, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come to be in mind, but be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. No more shall there be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who doesn't fill out his days. For the young man shall die a hundred years old and the sinner a hundred years old shall be accursed. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be. And my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity. For they shall be the offspring of the blessed of the Lord and their descendants with them. Listen to this. Before they call, I will answer. 
While they are yet speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall graze together. The lion shall eat, uh, eat straw like the ox and the dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt or destroy in all of my holy mountain. What you're seeing here is a prophetic description of where God is taking things, where human beings live the way that they were intended to live, where, if you'll notice, look at verse 24, where human beings are in right relationship with God. Think about, do you have a friend that can finish your sentences? Do you have that kind of friend, the friend that you know so well, the person that you know so well that can finish your sentences? What it's describing there is that all of creation, all human beings will have that sort of relationship with God. We will know him so deeply and intimately that before we call, he will answer. And as we're speaking, he responds. Again, what are we, what are we describing? We're describing this heaven and earth meeting place where human beings dwell in harmony with one another and with God, go to Revelation chapter 21. I told you there was a chapter after 20. Some of you didn't believe me. There it is, right there in your Bible. Right there, 21 and 22. Look at 21.1. This isn't gonna be on the screen. This is bonus for you today. This one's free. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Not human beings escaping to the New Jerusalem, but the New Jerusalem coming down as a prepared place for humanity, right? Uh, here we go back up. And I saw a holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of, with, of God is where? Do you see it? You finished the sentence. The dwelling place of God is with man. Do you see? The dwelling place of God is with man. We should be remembering, calling to mind creation in the book of Genesis. This is where it's going. Now, if this is where it's going then where should our focus be? If that is the end, remember, we're trying to work through a timeline here, and we've said this temporary thing is, is a temporary thing. But there's a moment where there will be new creation, a new heavens and a new earth. If that's true, then where should our focus be? I want you to just jump right over to the next chapter. Revelation chapter 22. Now look at verse 14. It says, blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life. Does that sound familiar? Come on, Genesis, come on, just say Genesis. Okay, just three of you. Verse 15, outside of the dogs and the sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. Verse 16, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root, the descendant of David, the bright morning star. Jesus is fulfilling the prophetic word. And look at verse 17, the spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without 
price. In verse 18, it says, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of this book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described. Look at verse 20. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. What are the next three words? Come, Lord Jesus. Why? Why is this the close? What has just been described to us in the book of Revelation, but also, listen, as the climactic close to this entire story of the redemptive narrative of God, what is announced? It is announced and it is decided. Jesus has said, I am Coming, coming for what? Coming to do that thing which I launched when I lived on the earth. I am coming to bring about the fullness of new creation. And my return, the return of Jesus is that set event that the last domino falls and new creation is brought about. So the reason that the text closes with this anthem where Jesus says, I am coming soon, and then the response from the spirit and the bride, us, the response is what? I am coming soon. The response is come. Why? Because his coming, his coming instigates new creation. You ever, you ever look forward to your birthday? Mine's November 21st. You do with that whatever you want. <laughs> now, what's special about November 21st? Nothing. There is nothing significant about that day. But do I look forward to it? Less and less now, but when I was younger. Yeah? I look forward to it. Why? Not just because the day, but because what the day brings. Kids, look in your bags. Look in your bags. You've got a little happy birthday gift. And I actually, full disclosure, parents, I have no idea what's in here, but it's some little treat for your kiddos. You can open that up. I'm sure it's something exciting. When I walked in, uh, my daughter Abigail said, Dad, is that going to be something good for us? It's like, I think Miss Becky will take care of you. <laughs> yeah, mine's got a little, little starburst in it, right? Why do you look forward to your birthday? Why do you look to the day? Because of what the day brings. You with me? Hey, hang, hey, hang, hang on, hang on. Quit opening your candy. Not just kids, parents, I'm talking to you. <laughs> Quit stealing your kid's Starburst, look at me. Why do we look to the day? Because of what is held within the day. The reason that the text closes with this urgent cry from the spirit of the bride saying come is because the coming of the Lord Jesus, that fixed point, which we do not know the time or the hour, but we know that it is promised and we know that it will come, that the return of the Lord Jesus brings about the day that we and all creation have been longing for, the renewal of all things. The healing of all things, the making right of all things, the wiping away of every tear from every eye, the total healing and restoration of what is physical, the flourishing of creation, everything comes within the package of the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we look back in the text, if you just go backwards in your Bible over and over and over and over again, you're gonna see two things. You're gonna see the promise of God. You're gonna see him over and over saying, the day of the Lord is coming. And you're gonna see his people longing for it. Because when he comes, so comes the fullness of redemption that you and I can only imagine 
because we have the first fruits of that redemption. The indwelling Holy Spirit of God in us. But the day of the Lord Jesus is that marker where what is temporary ends and what is forever, new heavens, new earth, new creation begins. And this is what we're to be looking for. Here's what the Bible tells us. Just a few things about the day of the Lord. In the day of the Lord, there will be a great revealing of his saints. Those who are truly his will be known for what they are. The remnant will be revealed. Those who have not bent their knee to Baal will be revealed. There will be a great revealing and there will be a great judgment of evil. All that is evil and wicked, all that is caught up in the rebellion of what the Bible calls the great Satan who's led human beings in a revolt against God, all of that will be exposed and judged. The return of Jesus is the catalyst event for this long-awaited promise. I want you to go to Romans chapter eight. Romans chapter eight. We read it this morning. Miss Nancy Batsloff read it for us. Romans eight, verse 18. For I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Now please, 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 let's be disciplined. Don't think, get escape and go to heaven when we die. He's talking about the suffering that is wrapped up in following Jesus when the fullness of time has not already come, where we have a first fruits, but we also live in a world that is increasingly evil and being corrupted and the tension that exists in that moment. And he says that it brings suffering of this present time, but it's not worth comparing to the glory that is coming. For the creation waits in eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself, creation itself, would be set free from its bondage to corruption and, and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in pains of childbirth until now. It's talking about the subjection of all of creation from Genesis chapter three, knowing the corruption and the bondage and the brokenness that we exist in now, but longing for, compares it to childbirth, longing for the birth of what is new. And not only the creation, verse 23, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait that day, the adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he sees, meaning it's not yet, but it's coming. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. And the Spirit helps us in our weakness, even helps us to pray in that in-between time. The point is that all of creation cries aloud for this day of the Lord. Creation, listen, is corrupted and broken from human sin, is not what it should be, but longs and groans for the return of Jesus, for the fullness of justice and peace to sweep over all creation and for all things to be made right. And creation, the trees, the plants, the animals are crying out for that day. How much more those of us who have the first fruits of the spirit, the living indwelling spirit of God living in us, how much more ought we to be crying out and longing for that day? You with me? 
So right now, there's two parallel movements on the earth. There is this ever-increasing corruption. And the Bible, I think, tells us, and we, you know, I think this is pretty easily discerned. I think the Bible tells us that more and more and more human beings in sin will take and take and take and take and rule and have dominion more and more and more and more. And evil and corruption will increase as we draw near to the day. We see it all the time. We see it in human person. We see it in individual people. We see it in human systems. We see it in human governments. And that's, let me just, as an aside, let me just say that on this 4th of July, this is also why we cannot ever ground our hope in anything human. Because all that is human is Babylon and is corrupt and is serving the idolatry of humanity and will become more and more and more broken and corrupt as the day draws near. And that's one thing that's going on. That's one parallel movement. The thing that is opposite to that, the thing that is parallel to that is the breaking in of God's kingdom in Jesus. The climax of the story is the death and the resurrection of the Messiah that brought into reality the breaking in of God's kingdom. And though it is not fully here, it is here. Though it is not new creation yet, the kingdom of God has broken in. And next to this corruption, it's what Paul's talking about, next to this corruption is the breaking in of God's kingdom. And signs of new creation are everywhere. In Christ, the revolution has begun. And it's quiet, and it's unassuming, and you may not notice it just walking down the, down the street, but the Messiah was quiet and unassuming, and you may not have noticed him walking down the street. The breaking in of God's kingdom is not brash and violent, grabbing at power like the world's powers are doing, but it is extreme, and it is dangerous. It is the intersection of heaven and earth, and it dares move in total contradiction to the world's values and powers. The poor and the marginalized are valued and tended to. Power is surrendered. Material wealth is rejected. The enemy is a neighbor, and brotherly love is the glue that holds it all together. And you know where that breaking in of God's kingdom is primarily evident? Where are those signs of new creation? Where do we see it the most? We should see it right here. Where is the evidence of this breaking in of God's kingdom? Right here, you and me. The way we live and act in the world, the way we treat one another, the way that we live out in the world. That we are an evidence and a demonstration of the coming of God's kingdom fully and completely. We are the demonstration of another reality which broken into the corruption. And eventually, though it may not seem like it now, the Bible says, hang in there, don't lose heart, because eventually this kingdom of God, though unassuming and though it seems like it's subtle, will eventually take over. And you and me are supposed to be an advanced sign of what one day will cover the earth. So 2 Corinthians chapter four, and this is where we're gonna close. 2 Corinthians chapter four, verse 13. It says, since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. 
For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. Look at verse 16. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, though we are experiencing the pain that, that, is, that is associated with this corrupting world, though our outer self is wasting away, what does it say? Our inner self is being renewed day by day for this light and momentary affliction is preparing us for eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Now here's, I just wanna make sure again that we grab this. He's not saying that our elder self is just this thing to be discarded and what really all that matters is the inside. That's not what he's saying. He's saying that our physical bodies experience the, the pain and the brokenness of the corruption that is in the world. We can, he's literally saying, we can feel the wasting away and the brokenness of creation, but something different, there's a different story going on on the inside because we've received the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit on the inside. And though I live in a world that is breaking down and is corrupt, and though even my body is experiencing that corruption, there is hope and there is light on the inside. As the Spirit of God in me transforms me into the likeness of Jesus and tells me that there is a day coming where all will be made right. And so though I don't see it, I look to it not to escape there someday, but knowing that what is unseen, meaning the covering of God's glory over all the earth, though that is unseen now, it will be seen on the day of the Lord. You with me? Come on. I'm working hard. I know you don't see it today. And I know it feels like it's so fragile that a whisper could break it, but I just wanna tell you that God is on the move. He's at work and the evidence is right here in this room. The evidence is every single one of those students at camp last week that surrendered their lives to him and said, I wanna follow you with everything. The evidence is when you step alongside your neighbor and bring them a meal when they're grieving and hurting. That's the evidence. That's the, the in-breaking sign that there's a new reality coming and the spirit of God in us is pleading for us to open our eyes and not look down into what's decaying, but to look up. He's coming. He's coming. And Paul says, in this, we have hope. You with me? We ought to be the happiest people on the planet. And chaos in our world ought to magnify just how delightful we are. <laughs> you know? Everybody's angry. <laughs> Everybody's fighting. Great, what a great time for them to see that we're not. Because there's something else that the Spirit of God is testifying to. We have a hope in something greater. You with me? All right, if you don't say amen, this is gonna keep going. Would you stand? What are you longing for? What are you longing for? Are you pessimistic? Is your head down? Are you an Eeyore? <laughs> I know, and I feel it too, that corruption 
and the pain of brokenness and sin and corruption is all around. And it strikes at us all the time. And we feel it. And we bear the marks of the decay of, of creation in and of, our, in and of ourselves. We feel it. But I want you to listen this morning. I want you to press your ear up against the, your heart where the spirit of God dwells. I want you to press your ear really close into him. And I want you to listen. I want you to listen to the Holy Spirit this morning. I want you to listen to the spirit of God lift your eyes and tell you of a day that's coming whisper to you about the promise of new creation that this is not all that there is. Encourage you that what is maybe not seen, the little things that you're doing, they matter. Feeding the sick, going to the, to the hungry, taking care of the one that is unseen, those things matter. Those things are eternal. And I want you to hear the Spirit of God encourage you Take heart. And I want you to join with the Holy Spirit this morning in praying and pleading. Come, Lord Jesus. We need to long for that day in prayer. Amen. Listen, just want to say this. I'm going to be out in the uh, hallway here through these double doors. If you want to pray with somebody, We've got prayer partners that are out there. If you need to come into God's kingdom, if it's a time for you to lay down a life that is all about you and follow Jesus, we wanna to talk to you about that out there. It's a great day to follow Jesus. Some of our students discovered this is a great week to follow Jesus. Would you, would you follow him? He's good and wonderful. He can teach you how to live abundantly in the kingdom that he's prepared for you. If you wanna talk about that, pray about that, we'd be happy to pray with you. Holy Spirit, we just plead with you this morning, would you turn our eyes, would you set our hearts on what you're up to? Would you give us hope and joy in the midst of pain and suffering and brokenness? Though those things are real and we feel, feel them, would you give us hope? Come, Lord Jesus, come, amen.